0: Walters is back open to full capacity with bar service and their ever so popular self pour beer wall. Think you've got what it takes to pour a perfect pint? Walters is the place to give it a shot from micro to macro and lunch to brunch. Walters is the place to be in Navy Yard. Reservations now open for the entire Nat's homestand over at opentable.com.
1: Wednesday night, Walters is the place to be. If you're going to the game, head there beforehand with friends to grab a bite on their patio. And if you don't have tickets but are still in the neighborhood,
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1 1. Lifted in the air to right field deep. Soto back on this one to the track at the wall, and it is gone. Opposite field home run over the out of town scoreboard. For Eugenio Suarez, his 10th of the year, and the Reds on a pair of solo homers lead it 2 to nothing.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, May 26, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, so much for the three-game sweep of the Orioles. The Nationals bats morph back into a pumpkin with game one of a three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. 2-1 the final. The Nats score, three runs or less for a 13th time in 21 games. Muster a mere four hits and two walks. Do not register a single at-bat with a runner in scoring position. Mark, that was fun over the weekend. Uh, any notion, though, that we were going to see more of that thrown out the window with what went down on Tuesday night.
1: You know, and I think if I remember right, after Sunday's game, we kind of tried to give that word of caution to everyone that don't get too fooled by this. They need to prove to us that they can actually sustain this over more than a weekend against a a weak team. Now, that said, the Cincinnati Reds came into the week having given up the most runs in the National League. So this is not a big name pitching staff. They pitched really well in this game. Tyler Molly, who knew, with five and a third scoreless. Then they went to their kind of bullpen ace, TJ Antone, who went two and two thirds. I mean, that was kind of some old school stuff there, fireman out of the bullpen before they then finally went to the ninth with Garrett and Sims. So credit to the Reds that they had a plan of attack and they they executed it. But I mean, there's nothing that we can't go back and point to a one at bat in this game that you say, oh, that was the turning point, or you know, hey, that was the moment that somebody didn't come through. I mean, they like you said, zero at bats the runners in scoring position. That's pretty pathetic from an offensive standpoint. I don't care who you're facing.
0: Really disappointing to see. And if not for the offensive force, that is Josh Bell right now. Things are even worse for the Nationals offensively in this game. We'll get to Bell coming up momentarily. We'll also get to Max Scherzer, who is very good again. The Nationals losing a start. I mean, you think about this, Max Scherzer pitching against the Cincinnati Reds. Max is good, and you still lose. You know, that's that's not the way it's supposed to go. You know, you weren't facing the Dodgers on Tuesday night, and yet the Nats end up losing a Max Scherzer-started game. I do want to get your take, though, on Juan Soto. He looks off right now. You know, one for four with a single on Tuesday night, but he struck out twice, and his final plate appearance, he strikes out swinging with the count full for the first out in the top of the ninth. On this like bizarre fail of a check swing, he asked the umpire after the fail of a check swing, I guess he was asking him, would that have been a cold strike had I not swung? But I don't know. He just looked all out of sorts. He was ahead in the count 2-0. Then the count ends up being worked to being full and then he strikes out. It's been one thing with him because we've noted like, okay, he's hitting for average and getting on base, but he's not hitting for power. He looks like kind of a mess at times right now. I, we're not used to seeing this with Juan, but he just has been off since he came off the 10-day injured list.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think if it was anyone else, we probably wouldn't really notice it. We'd just say, yeah, he's still trying to find his way through it. But it looks so out of character for Juan Soto, who, as we know, what is his three years in the big leagues, has just never gone through any kind of prolonged slump. And I'll admit, I thought that game at Wrigley Field, when he hit it off the scoreboard, I thought, okay, here it is. He's back. He's got it figured out. It has not carried over since then at all. And you mentioned the strikeout in the ninth on that weird check swing. He also struck out on three pitches in the fourth, which does not happen to him hardly ever. There's some ugly swings. that weren't even like big cuts that he just missed on it. I don't know what it is. You hope, you really hope that the shoulder is not affecting the swing. And everything that we have heard from him and from Davey Martinez for weeks about that is that that's not the case, that it was only affecting him in the field with his throws. You really hope it's not affecting him at the plate, because if it is, that's a much larger problem over the long haul here. But no, he still does not look right. And that alone could be enough to turn this all around for this team. If they are going to be in these low scoring games consistently, and if Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber are starting to hit, it may just take a couple of big hits from Soto on a nightly basis to flip these games around. But at the moment, he's not providing it for them, not on any kind of consistent basis, at least.
0: And he's been off the IL now for three weeks. He got activated on May 4th. So we're long past the point of like, well, you know, he just came off and he's shaking off the rust. Like, no, it's been a few weeks here. I mean, she should be good to go by this point in terms of, you know, getting back into the swing of things, no pun intended. And it hasn't happened here. So we're not sure what's going on, but he doesn't look right. And anyone who's a Nationals fan, I think, will tell you that right now. In terms of what else went down with the offense uh, in the negative on Tuesday night, I mean, look, Trey Turner 0 for 4 with a strikeout, not good. Kyle Schwarber, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Starling Castro went 0 for 4. Josh Harrison went 0 for 3. You know, Jan Gomes 1 for 3, okay. Andrew Stevenson 0 for 2 with a walk. I mean, it was. That kind of a game. I do want to ask you this. So Davey deploys Ryan Zimmerman off the bench to pinch hit for Kyle Schwerber in the ninth inning and not Starling Castro. Nats are down. You know, obviously there are a point in this game where it's like, okay, you could use the long ball, you could use a Homer or two. And I I get, you know, Schwarber's a lefty batter facing a a lefty reliever. But Davies done that prior to this game this season in terms of having Schwarber face a lefty pitcher. What do you think about that Zimmerman pinch hitting for Schwarber and not say Castro if you're in need of a home run in that spot?
1: Yeah, I think this was a matchup situation, to be honest. Uh, Amir Garrett of the Reds had faced Kyle Schwarber a lot from his time with the Cubs. Ten plate appearances, 0 for 8, two walks, four strikeouts. So it's a lefty-righty thing. In one case, he he wanted Zimmerman to face the lefty, whereas uh, Castro would be less concerned about that, although they want to bring it in, the righty, Lucas Sims, to finish it. But I think that was probably a case of Davey knowing that that was a particular matchup he wanted to avoid, Schwarber against Garrett. You know, Zim grounded out. The crowd was into it at that point because (laughs) Josh Bell had homered moments earlier his first homer from the right side of the plate this year. And that was a nice little out-of-nowhere bonus for them. And you thought, well, maybe here's a little something. And he's playing that Zimmerman card and just didn't work out. He grounded out, and The game was essentially over minutes after that. So, I mean, I've called for this more than once for Zimmerman to hit for Schwarber against a lefty late in the game. This is the first time he's done it. I'll be curious if we see it anymore. I know the result didn't pay off, but I think it's something to at least consider on, on occasion.
0: I do wonder about some of the previous history stuff that managers will lean on. And, you know, Davey's far from the only guy to do this. I mean, is 0 for 8 that much of a sample to where you're like, you're sure the guy's not going to do well? I don't know. I, I just I get a kick out of that. Like, it's really not that much, especially a guy like Schwerber, who we know like with one swing can change everything. Like we've seen that so far this year. You know, I, I'm not saying the outcome of the game is any different if Davey pinch hits for Castro as opposed to Schwerver. But I don't know. I just was thinking about that. Like, you needed a home run and Sterling Castro's batting. And it's like, that's the last thing he's going to do is hit a home run. And obviously, that's not what ended up happening. Hey,
3: everyone. Tim Schover' here to tell you again about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries is here to hook up our listeners for your first order. Go to sundayscaries.com and type in NATSCHAT, that's one word, in the promo code to get 25% off your first order. Again, it's sundayscaries.com. When you enter the promo code at checkout, type in NATSCHAT to receive 25% off your first order. They have plenty of options, including oils, bath bombs, and gummies. I've been using the gummies. It helps me sleep as I sign up for the night at rather unusual hours. Right now, I'm taking the vegan AF gummies. It's actually the only vegan thing I consume. And Sunday Scaries appeals to a wide range of people, including young professionals, moms, college students, entrepreneurs, and more. To recap, sundayscaries.com, promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: Support your journey to wellness at b i o p t i m i z e r s dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
0: Three balls, two strikes. The pitch. Bell swings and drives
4: one in deep left center field. This is way back. It's going, going, and it's gone. Goodbye.
2: Bang. A zoom goes
0: Bell to get the Nationals on the scoreboard with his sixth home run of the year. So you mentioned Josh Bell. Josh Bell is, especially by his 2021 standards, in another universe right now. And this is really encouraging to see. Number three batter for the Nationals on Tuesday night. Two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Bell had a two-out full-count walk in the bottom of the first, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. He had a one-out single in the bottom of the fourth. And then came his biggest blow of the game, a one-out full-count solo homer, despite having been down in that count at 1.12. Here we are now with Josh Bell. He, over his last 11 games, has increased his OPS for the season by 204 points. I mean, it tells you about where that OPS was, but it also tells you about what he's been doing, a 204-point surge in the Josh Bell OPS Over the last 11 games, he's actually got his OPS now to 691 on the year, which isn't good, but it's a whole lot better than where we were at. And again, I think we can say, you know what? He is finally coming out of this wretched slump that began his season.
1: Like you said, if you're able to up your OPS by 200 points in a short amount of time, that means you were starting at a very low point. (laughs) It's, It's hard to make up that much ground if you've been having a decent season. So, hey, props to him. He's worked at it. He's figuring it out. And what I liked was, we just talked about the home run right-handed, his first of the year. He had been two for 25 against lefties this year. And I know Zimmerman plays a lot of those games when they do get a lefty starter. But as a switch hitter, you do need him to be able to at least be competent in those spots sometimes. And he put a good swing on that Amir Garrett pitch for the home run. So that was good. The single earlier came on a 95 mile an hour fastball. So I think he's got the whole timing thing down that we were concerned about for a lot of the first month of the season. All good signs. We just need to see all of these guys put it together at the same time. That's great that he's doing this. It's just too bad Juan Soto isn't on base when he's doing this. And you would expect that to be the case. So hopefully one of these days, Turner, Soto, Bell, and Schwarber, all four of them are going well. They, they kind of did over the weekend against the Orioles, but for long stretches. If you can get those four in sync at the same time, there's actually potential for this lineup. But so far, there's been very few nights when all four have looked good.
0: No. And unless the Nats are facing the Orioles or playing a game in Dunedin, Florida, it just has not happened and with any kind of consistency with the Nationals offense so far this year. It's too bad the Nats can't face the Orioles in Dunedin. That would be glorious. The Nats would be the 2078. they
1: set some records in that. Yeah, one.
0: they would. But, uh, but that's not happening anytime soon. So another particular pain of this game on Tuesday night is that it was a Thursday, day and the Nats lost. You know, anytime the Nats lose a Max Scherzer-started game, that's a shame, especially when Max pitches as he ended up pitching on Tuesday night. And it's not like Max has had any real clunkers this season, but he was coming off back-to-back outings in which he only went five innings apiece. That was not the case on Tuesday night. Two runs in seven innings on uh, nine strikeouts. Gave up five hits, two homers, a double and a couple of singles, one walk and a hit by pitch. He threw 67 of his 107 pitches for strike, Struck out four of the first five batters he faced. Like I said, did give up a couple of homers. So if you want to pick a nit, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, gave up a homer, top of the third leadoff first pitch homer by Kyle Farmer. Then uh, gave up a run in the top of the six on another leadoff homer, this one by Eugenio Suarez, but this was another one of these very good max outings. But because the Nats score one run for the game, they don't end up winning a Max Scherzer started game.
1: So if they win this game 3 2, we're talking about what a great start it was for Max Scherzer. Because they lose 2 1, we are picking nits with the home runs, and he was doing it himself. In his mind, he's such a perfectionist that he looks at those as mistakes on his part, and that cost them the game. And what we saw, it's a couple things we've seen throughout the whole season. If you're going to beat Max Scherzer, it's going to be on home runs. He's not giving up rallies. It's now 13 of the 16 earned runs he's allowed have come on home runs. And what you saw on the first one from Kyle Farmer, first pitch fastball, ambushed him. Max knows that hitters are doing this. We saw, remember, Ronald Acuna, first pitch of the season, homered off him. And it is a concerted strategy by opposing hitters to go after Max Scherzer's first pitch. And in a lot of ways, it's like the ultimate compliment because they know the longer through an at bat you get with him, the less chance you have as you don't know what he's going to throw up there, slider, cutter, change up, whatever. You get to two strikes, forget about it. So they are going out there trying to hit the first pitch and he knows it. And he says, he's got to be perfect on those pitches. He can't just, you know, hey, get me over strike one to start in that bat. He's got to go right out from the get go and make a good pitch on, on the first pitch of bat. It's a tough way to go about it, but if you're dealing with a lineup that doesn't provide you a lot of run support and you know that opposing hitters are going to take this kind of approach against you, you just can't let up at all. And I think that's why he was actually beating himself up a little bit for this game, even though he was overall really good and two solo homers should not be enough to beat you normally, even though it was in this game.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the home run thing, I mean, he gave up a bunch in his first outing of the year, but Cincinnati's done a pretty good job at avoiding the home run. And, you know, it's not like giving up two home runs in this game on Tuesday night was something egregious, but you're right. It gets really magnified by the fact that the Nats don't score runs. For Scherzer, though, now on the year, you're looking at 10 starts, ERA at 227, whip at 0.85, 85 strikeouts versus 13 walks. So we'll continue to say it. He has pitched like Cy Young Max, he has pitched like A plus Max. On the season, and you know, to me, that should not be minimized. Also, give credit to the bullpen, which was very good for the Nationals on Tuesday night. Wander Suero looked really good, perfect top of the eighth, two strikeouts, struck out Alex Blandino on three pitches for the first out, then struck out Eugenio Suarez on five pitches for the second out. Sam Clay had some issues in the top of the ninth. began it by giving up a single and then a walk, but then he did what Sam Clay does, induced a ground ball, six four three double play off the bat of the pinch hitter, Scott Heineman, So you got two scoreless innings from your bullpen. Really not a lot to complain about with the pitching, you know, the fielding. Kyle Schwarber did have that boo-boo on the double that uh, ended up with the runner on third because Schwarber misplayed the ball off the outfield wall. Okay, fine. But, you know, the run prevention was not the issue on Tuesday night. Uh, The Nationals' offense ended up being the issue. By the way, just going through some of this stuff, it makes me think of something. Eugenio Suarez did come up as a potential trade target for the Nationals in the offseason. What went down with that? How serious were those talks? Mike Rizzo potentially trying to acquire Suarez from the Reds?
1: I think obviously, you know, as Rizzo was doing with any team that had a third baseman who might have been available, he was inquiring about it. And as was the case in pretty much every situation, when he heard what the asking price was, he says, okay, thanks, but no thanks. I don't know who specifically the Reds were asking for, but I, I gather it was Cade Cavalli, Jackson Rutledge, someone someone along those lines. And Rizzo was like, no, we're not doing that. Now, Suarez actually came into this game really struggling, batting average under 200. And uh, the Reds uh, media was surprised that David Bell bumped him up to the leadoff spot. Imagine this, Al, a struggling hitter gets moved up to the leadoff spot. Now, we've seen Nationals hitters get moved out of the leadoff spot and not given a chance to move back up there, especially when they start going well. Here was a case where a manager decided to try to get a guy going who's struggling by moving him to the leadoff spot. And guess what? He homered off Max Scherzer. Go figure.
0: Funny how that is. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, Now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Wizards at Philadelphia, Wednesday night at 7. Take the over when the Wiz are in action. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like Same Game Parley and Always On Promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action.
3: 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. one with it indiana one 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. One hundred gambler New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, one or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net.
1: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel.
0: So there was a lot going on with the Nationals prior to this game. We're going to get to that stuff coming up in a bit, but we can kind of use this as a launching pad into that. Game two against the Reds at Nationals Park, Wednesday night at 7.05. Joe Ross versus Jeff Hoffman. Joe Ross is coming off back-to-back really bad outings. Over his last two starts, he's allowed 12 runs, 10 earned in seven and two-thirds innings. It's been this weird year for Joe Ross where he's had three really bad starts. The other five starts have actually been quite good. ERA under two over those five starts. But this would seem to have particular significance because we finally got an Eric Fetty update uh, from the Nationals prior to the game on Tuesday And that is that it looks like Fetty sooner rather than later will be back from his COVID-19 absence, although we don't know how soon that will be. So I'll ask you a question that I feel like we've asked quite a bit recently, and that is, is Joe Ross pitching for a spot in the rotation on Wednesday night? Or do we not say that because Fetty's not going to be ready to come back that soon?
1: I think we'll say that Joe is going to get two more chances, as my guess, that this won't be do or die for him, although he needs a good one. Obviously, another he lays another egg, and that's going to put him in a bad spot. But the update on Fetty is that he was cleared to return to D.C. and no longer have to remain in Chicago, but he is still officially in quarantine in D.C., but they feel like he is a couple days away from being cleared from that. Remember, he's the one who tested positive. He's been asymptomatic the entire time he was vaccinated. So the issue with him is going to be, even if he's cleared in the next day or two, Has he missed enough time that they think he needs to go make a rehab start? And reading between the lines, I think that's probably what they're going to end up doing with him and send him to Rochester for a start. Now, you could say this is maybe a little bit of a way for them to delay this decision that we've been talking about for weeks. And they have an excuse now because he's on the IL. He's allowed a rehab start. And remember, Eric Fetty can't go to the minors without being injured. So I think they may perhaps use that as a way to push this decision down the road a little bit. He wouldn't need more than one of them, is my guess, but maybe just to be safe, they would send him down there, let him throw five innings in a rehab start, and then get him back onto the big league staff. I think it's a big start for Joe Ross. I don't necessarily think it's do or die for him at this point. Now, the other guy, Tanner Rainey, has been cleared to resume workouts with them. He has tested negative. He never did test positive. Remember, he's the one who we believe is unvaccinated, but he did not get the virus as far as we know. So he's allowed to return, but they want to just make sure that he's baseball ready before they do that. so he was going to throw a bullpen session before the game on Tuesday. They were going to evaluate him and decide could he just come right back or would he need to go pitch in a game or simulate a game or something first? But I think we're talking about a matter of days before Tanner Rainey is back on the active roster
0: so Max Scherzer, after his last outing, did a whole rant during his post game Zoom presser about how Eric Fetty should be given some more leeway here because he got vaccinated and It is kind of funny, right, or odd, or, you know, maybe even aggravating. Fetty got vaccinated, still got the virus again. And Rainey, who did not get vaccinated but did not get the virus, is going to be back before Fetty is back. That doesn't seem to incentivize players getting vaccinated. Like, yes, you would say you should get vaccinated for all of the health reasons and, you know, societal reasons that are out there. But from purely a baseball standpoint, this this doesn't seem to communicate a very good message of, Fetty, in theory, right, did the right thing. He got vaccinated. A, he still got COVID-19. And B, he's having to be out for a while here. Like any notion of, well, is that going to be out that long? It sure feels like he's going to end up being out a decent amount of time because of this, even though, like you said, he's never been symptomatic.
1: Yeah. And that was the hidden message, I think, in what Max Scherzer was saying publicly. And I've heard a couple other players off the record offer up some similar things. In their minds, Fetty did exactly what he was supposed to do, what what they told him to do, get your vaccine. And then, yes, he contracted the virus, but he was asymptomatic. Everything's fine. That's why they believe that he never should have had to go on the IL again. Their belief is that he was not a danger to himself or to anyone else. Now, it's not up to them to decide that, of course. But Max was pretty adamant that he feels like MLB and the union need to change these protocols for vaccinated players. And they felt like one other player said to me off the record that He really felt bad for Fetty because he felt like this could cost him in his bank account down the road. Let's say that he does have to now go on a rehab assignment. Maybe he misses a couple of starts. By the time he comes back, maybe he's not the same pitcher again. And at the end of the year, he's made fewer starts than maybe he would have. And that can cost you as a guy who goes into arbitration. So it's extrapolating things out a bit much, but that's the way some of these players think. And they really feel bad for him because, like I said, he did everything that he was supposed to do, everything they told him to do. And it's also why they have been trying to stress so much to these few remaining players who haven't been vaccinated about the benefits of it, not just for their own health, but that it's good for the team and good for competitive reasons. And if ultimately you can't show how that benefits them, it's going to be tough to convince somebody to change their mind who didn't get the vaccine.
0: I agree. I think the messaging here is really bad and really backwards. And MLB's got to take a long, hard look at itself because these players, they're not dumb. They're aware of what's happening here with Fetty. And if you're a guy who's on the fence for whatever reason about being vaccinated and you see what's happening here, you say, well, why the heck should I get the shot? Fetty got it. And look, he ended up missing, you know, what, two weeks, whatever it's going to end up being. Why should I go ahead and get the shot? I I don't think it sends a good message at all uh, what has happened here. I'm wishers are 100%. This isn't right. I mean, Eric Fetty, man, we've talked about this no one has been jerked around more than this guy over the years in terms of starter to reliever back and forth. Here he is now, right? Finally, maybe blossoming into the pitcher he's supposed to be. A, he may not have a spot in the rotation, but B, he gets vaccinated and he still gets COVID-19. I mean, you could not have drawn up the dark cloud continuing to hover above Eric Fetty more than it has over these last few weeks. It really is something else.
1: It's like out of a, a comic strip, the guy who who walks around in the cloud like follows him everywhere he goes yes and and is on top of nobody else yeah he he has been he has been babbipped to death when it comes to a lot of different things. it's not really his fault he's given up cheap singles essentially in the game of life, and that's too bad for him, hopefully he comes out of it all right, like we said, I mean, the good news is he's healthy, there's nothing wrong there and and hopefully he's gonna be fine in the long run, but yeah, I would not blame him if he's just like throwing his hands up to the heavens and saying, what have I done to deserve this?
0: Seriously. All right. There was another interesting development with the Nationals on Tuesday. So they finally made the corresponding roster move to putting Victor Robles on the 10-day injured list on Sunday. Remember the Robles transaction is retroactive to May 20th. He's on the IL due to that sprained right ankle. The Nats recall infielder Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester, not Carter Kieboom, which sure says a lot right now about where Keyboom is at, Were you at all surprised that it was Garcia who ended up being the corresponding move, or not really?
1: No, I really wasn't. Uh, And we kind of uh, touched on this the other day about what the situation was that they were in. And first of all, there were no other outfielders on the 40 man roster. So if they felt a need to bring up another outfielder, like, say, Gerardo Parra, they would have had to find somebody else to remove from the 40 man first to be able to get him up. And it's not that Parra has been doing that great either. He's hitting. 234. He's drawn some walks, 368 on base percentage, but I mean he's not doing a lot at Rochester. But neither is Carter Keyboom. He is hitting 191. Again, drawing some walks, 345. He's slugging 255, Al. One extra base hit in 47 at-bats. This is essentially a continuation of what we saw in spring training, and I think it is very telling that he is just not on their radar right now the guy who was supposed to go into the season as their everyday third baseman is getting passed over when they desperately need help on the big league roster. And they're calling up instead a 21-year-old who they'd have high hopes for. But in some ways, that makes Garcia less likely to be called up in this case because they don't need an everyday player. They needed just somebody to be on the bench and maybe provide a start here or there and some pinch hits. And so Garcia, who's only hitting 235 at Rochester, he's hit four homers, but he got 18 strikeouts. It's not like he's off to a great start there, but ultimately they thought he could help them more than Carter Keboom. and If that doesn't tell you everything you know about where Keyboom stands in the organization right now, I don't know what else to tell you about that.
0: His stock has plummeted. There are no two ways about it. You know, it's one thing what happened last season, at least he did remain at the major league level for a good chunk of last season, although they did eventually demote him to the alternate training site in Fredericksburg. This season, they don't want anything to do with him at the major league level. It's kind of weird because he actually started the season at the major league level because of all of those COVID-19 absences. But I remember this very distinctly. As soon as the Nats could have shipped Keeboom back down to the minors, they did. Like They couldn't wait to send him back down. And now we see with something like this Robles scenario where the Nats want nothing to do with bringing Keeboom back up. To me, the ship has sailed. If if Keeboom ever becomes something, I don't think it's going to be with the Nationals. And it really feels like the Lucas Giolito deal where the guy was touted for a while, didn't go well. And then that was it. Like the ball club just completely turned on him. It almost makes you wonder, and I'm not basing this on anything I've been told. I'm just kind of wondering out loud. But when you see a team sour on someone like this, to this degree, it feels like a lot of the times in sports, it's about more than just performance. They don't like something about the guy, either, you know, the work ethic or something like that. I mean, it's almost like what happened with the Washington football team and Dwayne Haskins, where his benching, there's a lot more to it than just the performance. And I'm not saying Keeboom is Haskins or anything like that, but you do wonder, Mark, like this guy was touted for a while, talked up each of the last two offseasons as, no, he's going to be our everyday third baseman. And man, they yanked that plug on him and that's it. He is buried right now.
1: Here's what I would say to that based on what I've, I've gathered. I don't think it's necessarily a case of, there's not an attitude problem, something like that. But I think they noticed that he did not handle failure very well, especially last season when things were not going well. He had his head down a lot, and he took it out to the field with him and at the plate with him. You could kind of see him dragging a little out there, as opposed to Garcia, who, you know again, was only 20 years old when he was called up last year. Even when he didn't do so well, he still had a lot of energy, was working on trying to get better, and I think there may be something to the idea that they have seen Keyboom deal with some struggles, and they don't like the way that he has handled it, and that leads them to believe that he may not have figured this out, how to do it. Now, obviously, if you're performing, then none of that other stuff matters, but I don't think they've been super pleased with just the way that he has handled, really for the first time in his life probably, not succeeding at baseball. Now, you mentioned Lucas Giolito, and there's a little bit of comparison there, but here's the difference. Mike Rizzo traded Lucas Giolito while his stock still was somewhat high, and we can debate that trade, whether that was all worth it for Adam Eaton, but Carter Keyboom isn't getting you Adam Eaton right now. And there were opportunities last winter, the winter before that, where they could have moved Keyboom and gotten somebody fairly decent in return. And right now, I don't know what you're going to get for him. And that leaves them in a really tough spot because you're going to stick with him, hope he figures it out. And then if he does or he doesn't, like if he's ultimately not part of your plan, what are you doing with him? And what are you going to get for him if you don't want to keep him around? So they are in a bad spot with him. And I'm not saying it's the team's fault necessarily. Ultimately, he's responsible for performing up to what he was supposed to be. But this is trending in a really bad direction. And I don't see a very likely scenario where this has a happy ending for the Nationals, at least anytime soon.
0: One more item. A very nice tribute from the Nationals to the current Red, the former Nat, Sean Doolittle, prior to the game. I was thinking about this, and it's not saying a ton because the Nationals do not have a glorious history since the franchise came to D.C. when it comes to relief pitching, but is Sean Doolittle the best reliever the Nats have had since the franchise came here? If you look at his numbers, he wasn't dominant in every season by any stretch, but obviously he was a key cog in the 2019 World Series winning bullpen. He helped to fix what was a wretched bullpen when he got traded for in 2017. There are some other candidates for this, but would you give Sean Doolittle the championship belt of best nationals reliever since the franchise came to DC?
1: He's definitely in the discussion. And the only reason that he maybe wouldn't get it in the end is because the last year or so just did not go so well. It went down fast and bad. But from the day he was acquired in July of 2017 until about the middle of 2019 when he got hurt had to go down basically from overuse because he was literally the only quality reliever that David Martinez had. He wasn't just the best reliever in the Nationals. He was arguably the best reliever in baseball at that point. He was unhittable. And I think we forget just what a mess they were when they traded for him and Ryan Madsen and how much he turned that around to turn that into a lockdown, don't even have to think about it scenario. So the other guy that I would say is in the discussion for best reliever in Nationals history is Tyler Clippard who maybe his peaks weren't as great. The dominance wasn't quite there, but the consistency was really there for a long time. Clippard, and this even goes well past when he left the Nationals, until this year, he never suffered any kind of significant injury. He just finally got hurt with the Diamondbacks this year. I think it's his shoulder. In a sport we talk about so much, the variance from year to year with relievers, Tyler Clippard was as sure of a thing as you get out of the bullpen for a long time. So I might give it to him over Doolittle just in terms of consistency. But at their peak, yes, Sean Doolittle is the best reliever the Nationals have ever had.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people are listening and saying, what about Drew Storen? He's worth mentioning, but there were highs and there were lows. And that's the problem with Storen. Although his 2014 might be the single best season any Nationals reliever has had. And some people may laugh at that. Like 2014, that's when he blew it in the Jordan Zimmerman game against the Giants. Yeah. But he was outstanding that season. But like I said, the, the list of candidates isn't exactly a mile long. But Sean Doolittle, definitely worthy of mention. Certainly one of the more likable Nationals players who've been here and uh, well-deserved uh, him being honored prior to this game on Tuesday night. You tell us what you think. Who is the best Nationals reliever since the franchise came to D.C.? Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. Email the man behind all of this, Tim Schovers, again, podcast at gmail.com. You can also continue to send us your voice memos. You have a question, you have a comment, you can record yourself asking it or saying it and email it to us, podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
2: Doolittle sets. He kicks, he delivers, and a swing and a fly ball left center field. Robles to his right on the run there. He's calling for it, and he makes the catch. And a curly W's in the box. The Nationals take game one of the 2019 World Series. Sean Doolittle with a 1-2-3 bottom of the ninth inning. He retires all four men that he faces. And the Nationals on the field to celebrate a victory. Our final score, the Washington Nationals 5, the Houston Astros 4.